Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 12th. Sometimes as tennis fans, we feel a bit of a lull after a Grand Slam comes to a close. I mean, how can we match the drama, the intensity that comes at the year's biggest event? Certainly, you look at this 2021 Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic tying Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer with his 20th major victory, Ashley Barty earning Grand Slam number two, but perhaps more importantly, solidifying herself at the top of the women's game. Those are the two sorts of storylines we crave as tennis fans, and yet, you look at the schedule on our hands this week. We've got three WTA-level events, three ATP-level events, four ATP challengers. The tours ain't slowing down now, and they ain't slowing down anytime soon. Of course, we've got the Olympics around the corner, the American hardcourt summer around the corner as well, some fantastic tennis as we do hit the home stretch of this 2021 season. Of course, on today's podcast, I want to recap everything that's happened over the past week. That starts with Novak Djokovic's title on Sunday. He knocks off Matteo Berrettini in four sets. I did two full podcasts on takeaways from the second week of Wimbledon. You can find both of them, the deciding points, on both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You can see my smiling face in person. I'm rocking both Bucknell and Wisconsin gear. Shout out to those schools for hooking us up with the shirts, but if you want to hear full takes, some of the most notable players, some of, again, the big picture takeaways from the event, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed where you can hear them as pods or go see my smiling face on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. On this podcast, just going to focus on Djokovic's victory over Berrettini. Of course, we recapped every day of the tournament on this mini break podcast, so perhaps you're a few days behind. You need to catch up on quarterfinals, semifinals, final action on the women's side. You can find all of those podcasts here on this mini break feed. Of course, be on the lookout for more content on our website, crackrackets.com, recapping that slam. And then, of course, turning the page to the rest of this season, we had an ATP Challenger podcast here on Monday. Of course, that Challenger Tour, always a pertinent part of a tennis fan's life. And we've got four more events this week, so be on the lookout for that podcast on the Great Shot podcast feed from our friends Damian Kust, Jakob Bobro. And, of course, I'm going to have David Gertler on the pod later on this week. Some challenger tennis will inevitably come up, but we've got a fun exercise scheduled for all of you listeners. And again, just a note, I suppose, for all of you, who do we have scheduled coming on the podcast this week? On the Great Shot podcast front, our friend David Kane 
from Tennis.com going to be joining us. Jeff Sackman from Tennis Abstract going to be joining us. It's a fantastic week of shows planned for all of you. I'm sure we're going to have additional guests as well. Our crack interviews feed, it's been on the downside. Of course, there have been so many events, so many players playing these events, but we're going to have NCAA singles champion for Florida, Sam Riffis, on the show. His former teammate and a guy who's been killing it on the ITF circuit, Oliver Crawford, going to be joining us as well. And then again, we'll continue to rock and roll here as we do hit the home stretch of this 2021 season. But again, on this podcast, talking Djokovic winning his 20th slam. I also want to catch all of you listeners up on all of the movement, top 15, top 20, top 25 clubs in both hold and break percentage via tennis abstract, the biggest ELO movers. I want to talk about the WTA action we saw last week in Bastad and Hamburg. And then of course, set the scene for all of you listeners and what you can expect this week. Again, a jam-packed week of tennis. I know this is a sponsored plug here, but this is one of those weeks where it really pays to have TC Plus, Tennis Channel's Plus subscription account. You can find all of these events, WTA, ATP side, of course. If you want to find the Challenger streams, livestream.com slash ATP. You can find all of those matches for free. So again, if you don't have Tennis Channel Plus, you are a massive tennis fan. It's worth the investment. Trust me, you're not going to miss any of the action. And if you do, you can go back and watch replays as I so frequently have to do because, of course, it's impossible to monitor all of the action happening at six events at once. But again, that is today's podcast schedule. That is our content schedule here this week at Cracked Rackets. Of course, before we get into today's show, I want to remind all of you listeners that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you, from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Tennis Point, summertime means new equipment, shoes, socks. You've sweat through all of your shorts, all of your shirts. They smell disgusting. Trust me, you are doing all of us a favor. And I know I've worn shirts far too long. I have a state championship from 2009 that I still own that used to be white. It's now, I'd say, a an unidentifiable yellowish hue. And it was time to replace that. And what did I do to get updated gear? I went to our friends at Tennis Point. You can find all of the best gear, all of the best equipment, strings, rackets, grips, with our friends over at tennis-point.com, you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, we are so grateful for the continued support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-point.com, the promo code is CR15. With that in mind, long-winded intro, I do apologize for that fact, but it's a new week on the tennis calendar, and it feels like all of these past, I would say, seven weeks of tennis have been very rushed. Honestly, I would say the past nine weeks. For me, we went NCAA tournament, French Open, rushed grass court season, straight into Wimbledon. Now, we take our first deep breath, and we reset. Heading into a new portion of the tennis calendar, of course, before we do that, we look back at the conclusion of the grass court season. I suppose Newport is this week, but the conclusion of the 2021 Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic, your gentleman singles champion, he captures the 20th single slam title of his career, knocking off Matteo Berrettini in four sets, 6-7, 6-4, 6-4, 6-3. 
Of course, this match started out dramatic, and it was fun to see Matteo Berrettini fight back from a 2-5 first set deficit and, you know, ultimately break Novak Djokovic when Djokovic is serving for the set 5-4 in. You look for Djokovic coming into the final. He hadn't dropped a set since his very first set of the tournament in the first round to young British player Jack Draper. And against Shapovalov, 5-4, 30-all, first set. Shapovalov has the forehand on his racket, wide open ad side of the court to earn a 40-30 lead. He misses it long. Djokovic breaks back. <clears throat> Excuse me, Denis Shapovalov does not sniff another set point the rest of the way. He ends up winning that match in straights. Now, here against Berrettini, he served for the set, and look, Djokovic blinked, and I think in that first set, it's fair to say neither player brought their best level of tennis. And you look for Matteo Berrettini in particular, he was hovering around 50%, more often south of that number than not throughout that first set. And just, you know, that comes with the nerves of playing your first Grand Slam singles final, of lining up against Novak Djokovic, knowing the task that is ahead of you. I think some of the serves he hit would have registered at 160 had they not landed in the net. But, excuse me, you look for... Uh, Berrettini in the first set, he kept swinging. And that was the theme for him throughout this match. And in the previews, I, I mentioned it repeatedly when I talked with Jamie McDonald. Jamie mentioned it as well. That's what makes Matteo Berrettini so dangerous. hes I'm not going to repeat the full stat for you, but he's a top three server on the ATP Tour. And he's a guy who has now lost, I believe, seven matches in his career on a grass court, but has won multiple titles on the surface. And his main draw appearances at Wimbledon now, round of 16 in 2019, He makes the finals here. His game translates to the grass court. That big first serve on any surface is going to create attacking opportunities, but on this one in particular, they set him up for first forehands, and the weight of that shot, if he hits behind you, you've got no chance. If you start cheating over, he's going to hit to the open court, and that ball even hit at 75% speed to the open court. You're not going to track down. I guess Novak Djokovic might track it down, but the 99% of players on the ATP Tour aren't going to be able to track that ball down. He's comfortable moving forward, comfortable at the that a good, I would say, not a great, but a good volleyer, knows where to go, knows what to do, will make the volley to the open court when the opportunity presents itself. Now, of course, the backhand wing for Matteo Berrettini was the side Novak Djokovic picked on throughout the course of this match. And in particular, Berrettini had done such a good job earlier in his matches, whether it was even against the big serving of FAA or Hubi Hurkacz or just the big hitting of Botik van de Senskulp early in the tournament. Berrettini showed that he has improved swinging through on that wing, particularly as a returner. He's a guy who, you know, averaged sub 20% as a break percentage, was a bottom five in the top 50 returner back in 2019-2018 range, but, you know, has gotten into the top 40 and has eclipsed that 20% number, and that's not exceptional, but given he's a top three server, that gets the job done, and he puts a lot of returns in play, and again, if you make the mistake of hitting a neutral ball to Matteo Berrettini, you're now at a deficit in the point because he's going to find a forehand, and once he finds that first forehand, he is now in control, and you look for Berrettini, when he was able to find first forehands, he had success, made 59% of his first serves, won 76% of those points, hits 16 aces against only three double faults, uh, you know, fights off nine of the 15 break points he faced, 57 winners against 48 unforced errors. Again, when you're playing Novak Djokovic, you have to go for a little bit more. And in that first half of the first set, he was too tentative. He just, and when he was trying to swing, that ball would go in the net or that ball would go three feet long or three feet wide. And he just didn't find his rhythm, but he settled into that first set. 
And of course, once you get to a tiebreaker against him, the weapons he has so dangerous in that format, and you look for Matteo Berrettini over his last 52 weeks, he's 19-10 and 10 in tiebreakers. He's able to take that first set tiebreaker 7-4, but... You know, that kind of woke the sleeping dragon because, again, in set number one and throughout this tournament, Novak Djokovic didn't hit the level he hit in Roland Garros. And I know he didn't play between the French Open and now, but you can imagine how draining it is to win those seven matches in a row, to have to play five sets against Musetti and then four physical sets against Berrettini, four physical sets against Nadal, five sets against Tsitsipas. It's going to take you two weeks to recover from something like that. And so for Djokovic, obviously, he's the only guy in ATP history who's won over 80% of his matches on all three of the major surfaces. And, you know, again, for him... It was about locking in mentally and locking in physically. Even though he wasn't playing his best tennis in sets two, three, and four, every first serve and every first strike is going to that Berrettini backhand. And then the moment he catches Berrettini cheating over to that side, trying to hit forehands, he's keeping him honest and going to that deuce side of the court. His ability to change directions, hit the ball on a dime, second to none, and you know mix in the variety as well. You look for Djokovic in this match. He was 34 of 48 at the net, 71%, two Berrettinis, 24 of 39, 31 winners against 21 unforced errors, made 61% of his first serves, won 79% of those points, 53% of his second serve points, whether it's the numbers, whether it was the eye test, he locked in, able to break Berrettini six times is damn impressive, uh, you know, only faces seven break points, fights off five of the seven, was able to come up with the big serves and able to make that extra ball whenever he needed to. When you look for Matteo Berrettini, I know it's so, again, simplistic to say, but 59% of his first serves, that's just not good enough against a Novak Djokovic, who if you hit a second serve to him, that point is now back at neutral. And you don't want to be at neutral with Djokovic either because of how well he changes direction and just how uncomfortable he makes you from the baseline. And, you know, Djokovic had enough with his first serve, with the way he returned and, you know, with the amount of opportunities he had, the amount of looks he had on the Berrettini second serve, that was the difference. In this match, you look for Berrettini, who's been averaging a 64% first serve uh, percentage on uh, over his last 52 weeks. That's where that 5% dip, that is the nerves of a Grand Slam final manifesting itself. And again, I thought this was a really good performance from Matteo Berrettini. Obviously, for him to make his first Grand Slam, he's one of four players who have made the round of 16 at all three slams this year. He's 40-12 and 12 now, 77% win percentage in his last 52 weeks. You look for him overall. Again, you look at the amount of finals he made for Berrettini. He's won an event on clay courts over in Belgrade. He won Queens Club on the grass. He made the Madrid final on the clay. He now makes the Wimbledon final here on the grass. He's made a couple of hard court finals in his career as well. U.S. Open semifinalist too. I made this case uh, on the deciding point. I've made this case on previous podcasts, but Matteo Bertini has entered the conversation of the elite. You look for him in terms of the advanced statistics. Again, his ELO rating, he's now up to number eight overall. He trails in terms of overall ELO. Well, Federer's on this list now as number five because he qualifies. And again, a lot of that is credit for past performance. But if we remove Federer, he's seventh. It's Djokovic, Nadal, then Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, Zverev, 
Berrettini, Team Carreno Busta, and Cam Norrie would round out your top 10 if we remove Milos Raonic. You look at 2021 specific results for Matteo Berrettini. They have him as the number three rated ELO player. He trails only Djokovic and Nadal, his 32 wins. He trails only Tsitsipas, Rublev, Nori, Djokovic, then him. So he's, again, fifth in terms of ATP wins since the start of the 2021 season. You name the surface, he has success on it. That aggression translates. But the story, of course, is Novak Djokovic. And if you guys want, I'll read all of the statistics. I like how I say, if you guys want, it's really up to me. But, you know, again, some of them. He is the second male player in the open era to win the first three Grand Slams in a calendar year. Rod Laver won all four in 1969. He's the second male player after Federer to win three Grand Slams in three different seasons, 2011, 2015, 2021. He's the second male player to win two different Grand Slams six or more times after Roger Federer. He's the third male player to win at least two slams on hard courts, clay courts, grass courts, Mats Wielander, Rafael Nadal. He's won, you know, 36 Masters 1000 titles. That's obviously tied with Nadal. He's going to end with the most weeks at year number one uh, in ATP Tour history. He obviously, I, I mean, what do you want? He's 20 and 10 now. He's made 30 Grand Slam finals. He's 20 and 10 in those finals. I believe you look at him now over his career. He's won, I believe it's, I think, five plus three. So eight of his last nine Grand Slam finals. And you want to go past that. He's won, let's see, 12 of his past 14 Grand Slam finals. Technically, 13 of his past 16 if you go back to the start of 2015 when he's made that final round. And, you know, for him in general, uh, obviously, there was no Wimbledon last year in the last. You let's see, you fill in the blank there. Eight. I'm doing some quick. In the last 12 Grand Slams, he's won eight of them. He's gone eight wins, a final, a semifinal, and two fourth rounds. What are we doing here, folks? Like the, the Novak Djokovic extended prime. This guy's got a chance to win the Grand Slam, which is Aussie, French, Wimbledon, U.S. Same year. He's also got the chance to win the Golden Slam, which is you throw in the Olympic gold medal into the mix as well. And does he play the Olympics? That's a fascinating question. Certainly, in terms of winning all four, in terms of eclipsing Federer and Nadal with Grand Slam win number twenty-one, not playing the Olympics would help. And with all of the regulations, Djokovic is not a guy who has ever. Well, you know, he doesn't want to play in those conditions, and he's earned the right to do whatever he wants, but that's the only thing missing from his resume at this point. It's hilarious, the fact that he's won 18 consecutive matches, Belgrade, French Open, Wimbledon, and it's like, yeah, but... That doesn't matter because we've seen him win, what, 42 or 43 consecutive matches. We've seen him rip off 30 match win streaks. We've seen him rip off 25 match win streaks like it's nothing. And, you know, again, I, I keep using this comparison, but Murray's got steel hips. Nadal is bald. I mean, Federer's a little bit older, but he's clearly near the end, and yet nothing seemingly has changed for Novak Djokovic. You look at it now, he's 57-8 and eight in his last 52. He's what, you look at the events he's won, he wins uh, the Western and Southern Open. He makes the finals uh, and wins Rome. He makes the final of Roland Garros. He wins Australia. He makes the final of Rome. He wins Belgrade. He wins the French Open. He wins Wimbledon. All this guy does is win. I mean... And again, age 34. It's crazy. He is now what? I believe won slams in three different decades, right? Because he won, I believe it was the 2009 Australian Open, 2008 Australian Open. Then he wins all these different slams in the 2010s. He's now won three here in the 2020s. 
25 is in play. Like, let's just be honest here. If I told you he wins five in the next three, four seasons, like, it feels in play. That's the craziest part because you look at the numbers for Novak Djokovic. Any decline he's had in movement, he's made up for with his mind, with just the way he strategically goes about matches now and conserves energy over the course of a match. And you look for him, he won 85% of his first serve points heading into this Wimbledon final against Berrettini. He ends up winning 79% of his first serve points, and he's won 75.7% of his first serve points for the year. That's 2% above his career average. He's, you know, winning 68.6% of his uh, service points in general. That's a percent and a half above his career average. His break percentage of 34.4, third high, uh, tied for the second highest, I should say, in his career. Tied with 2015, trails only his breakout 2011, which is when he had the 40-plus match win streak. And he's 34 years old. He's doing it a decade after that 2011 season. It's... It's phenomenal. And, you know, again, it's something we've talked about frequently here at Cracked Rackets, but it goes without saying Novak Djokovic, the champion of all champions, Grand Slam number 20, whatever is in that grass on the Wimbledon court, keep eating it because it's clearly working. Another phenomenal tournament for Djokovic. Again, yes, he dropped that first set, but at any point in this tournament, did he feel threatened? The answer is no. He wasn't even pushed to a deciding set. He drops two sets overall in the uh, in the event. Fantastic performance from Novak Djokovic. Fantastic performance for Matteo Berrettini as well, but Djokovic just too good in the end. He earns that Grand Slam title. And now, you know, with Wimbledon in the rearview mirror, just a quick update for all of you now that the analytics have been updated by our friends over at Tennis Abstract. Want to let you all know where our clubs are at. Top 15, top 10, top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Who were the big ELO rating movers? After the year's third Grand Slam, well, let's start with the top 15 clubs. You look on the women's side. It's the same four women as it was heading into the event. Nothing has changed. And that's not surprising because Muguruza was so excellent through the first third of the season. And you look at her result here at Wimbledon. You know, it was a three-set loss for Muguruza ultimately to uh, own Jabour. And so, you know, that's not going to hurt her with the analytics. That was a close pick sort of match. It's it's Sabalenka, Muguruza, Sviantek, who's your only player to have made the fourth round at all three slams, and Own Jabour, fourth round at both Wimbledon, French Open. I believe she's, you know, I think it was a third round loss for her to Osaka at the Australian Open. She wins the title on the grass courts in the warm-up to the event. She loses to Ostapenko the next week. Jabour's been a stud. She has been. She's not top tier right now in terms of WTA talents, but she's second tier at worst. Like, tier two is the bottom half, and she's ranked outside the top 20. It's a joke. And, and I think we all acknowledge that. But again, this speaks to the fact that you look for Own Jabour, by the way, in terms of wins leaders on the WTA Tour over the last 52 weeks. Own Jabour is third. It goes Sabalenka's got 51, Merton's 47, Jabour 45, Krechikova's next with 43, by the way. But Own Jabour belongs in that top 15 club. You look at the top 20, Ashley Barty makes her first appearance, and that's on the back of, again, her return numbers here at Wimbledon. She's always been a top-five server, and you look for her hold percentage right now. Ashley Barty currently at 79.7%. That is tied for second with Jennifer Brady. Her break percentage now, though, up a little bit higher. You look for her 38.7. That's good for 19th overall. Again, that puts her in the top 20 club alongside of Maria Sakkari and Elisa Mertens, and 
The difference between them, Barty's an elite server, Merton's, Sakri, both very good, not elite as either returners or servers, but they're both very good at both things. And again, it feels like Barty is a little bit of those two on steroids, right? You look for Ashley Barty, much like Sakari, much like Mertens. She's got the physicality of Sakari and the well-rounded skill set of Mertens. And then a little additional power on top of that as well. So to see her in that club, it's not shocking. That's the sort of caliber of player she definitely is. But obviously, again, a little bit on steroids. She's a top 20 clubber. And then... You know, I extended things a little bit just to include additional names. If you want the top 25 club, and again, these are players top 25 in both hold and break percentage, how frequently they're holding serve, how frequently they're breaking serve, according to Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard, Krechikova, Kanteve, Bedosa, and Victoria Azarenka would be the top 25 club. Now, if you make it top 27, you add Svitolina, Alexandrova, and Jennifer Brady to the list as well. I want to do so because when you look at those 14 names, isn't that the group? Like, outside of Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff, who would be top 30 club members, I believe, or for Osaka, it's like top 32, but you look at this group, Sabalenka, wins leader. Muguruza doubles up in the finals in the Middle East, was arguably the best player, had the match point on Osaka through the first third, the hard court portion of the season. Sviantek, fourth round at every slam. Jabour, third in total wins, has won a WTA title, made a couple of finals, arguably the most consistent player week in, week out, perhaps outside of Sabalenka on the WTA tour. Then you get Barty, Sakri, Mertens, all in the mix. I already broke down that category. And then you get the dangers, like the Krechikova and the Kanteves and the Bedosas, Vikas, and, you know, again, Svitolina, Alexandrova, maybe not, but Jennifer Brady, certainly we've seen her at these hardcourt majors of late. That is why I came up with these clubs, because statistically, you know, again, when the stats match up and the numbers match up with what you're seeing with your eyes, clearly we have trends emerging. And that sort of group, this sort of tier, a lot of players in this group under the, you know, 26 years old or under, this is the new core at the top of the WTA game. Sabalenka, Muguruza, Sviantek, Jabor, Barty, Sakari, Mertens, Krechikova, Kanteve, Bedosevika, Svitolina, Alexandrova, Brady. Again, the two names you would say most extreme that have been left out would be Coco Goff, would be obviously Naomi Osaka. Now, Serena Williams, you want to say that? Fine. I would argue the fact that, again, in an individual level or in an individual match, sure, but we're talking week in, week out, day in, day out. That's the core group right now in the women's game. Now, on the flip side, you look at the men's clubs. Top 15 right now, Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Zverev, Rublev. That makes sense, doesn't it? I know a lot of people are out on the Rublev train of late because it wasn't the best natural surface swing for him. The clay courts, the grass court season's not going exceptionally well, though he did make his first round of 16 at Wimbledon. That feels like a victory considering how small his sample size is on grass, but I'll say that very quietly because that's the contrarian take right now. I'm still feeling pretty good about Andre Rublev heading into his favorite portion of the season, but obviously how he ripped through the end of last year, how good he was on the hard courts to start this year. Andre Rublev, we know what he is capable of. Zero. Medvedev finalists at the la- at two of the last four slams or whatever, and both guys who are in the group of four with Berrettini and Djokovic as the only other two players to make the fourth round of every slam. And then, of course, Nadal, Djokovic still in that club. No more needs to be said. You look at the top 20 guys. This is where things get interesting. It's Karatsev, 
makes sense, hotter than hot to start the year, and then all of those challenger matches from the last 52 weeks still in his stats. And then Dominic Team, who makes sense given how good he was last year. We know how dangerous he can be. We know sometimes he's a little inconsistent. So to see him top 20, not top 15, that speaks to those inconsistencies. But again, it's not a shock to see him there. And then the top 25 ones are weird. It's Dimitrov and it's Chorich. So if you're saying, hey, well, George technically a next-gener, and I mean his absence from these conversations has more to do with his injuries and, you know, again, his relative health than everything else. Ditto, I suppose you could say, for Grigor Dimitrov, who's more on the back half, I suppose, of his prime. But it is worth noting, if you extended these lists out to a top 30 side on the men's, you would get a big influx of talent joining this group. You would see players such as, uh, I believe, Sebastian Corda and Casper Rude, and you would see others as well. Let me think. It's Corda, it's Rude, you would see Nori, you would see Kareno Busta, and then the obvious one, and again, this has as much to do with his grass court numbers, his numbers at the end of last season as anything else, but Stefano Tsitsipas, the obvious one missing, and that has to do with the backhand in return, in particular, being as vulnerable as it was, but it's gotten so much better over the past six months. Nevertheless, again, Joe Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Zverev, Rublev, top 15. I think that makes sense. Karatsev team, top 20. Sure, team being in that group makes sense. And then, you know, top 25, Dimitrov, Chorch, whatever. But to hear Korda and PCB and Noria, how good he's been of late, and Kaspar Ruud and Stefano Tsitsipas on the cusp. And then for Berrettini, his return numbers have been proved, but he is far from a top 25 returner at this point. Their exclusion makes sense given their weakness but I feel like that's a good test. Like those are the those five guys alongside of Berrettini team. And yeah, again, uh, you know, that that group, they have begun to separate themselves. You want to throw Roger Federer in there, that's, I suppose, fine as well. You look at perhaps some of the other players. I'm trying to think if I'm missing any names right now. I don't want to leave anyone out. Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, Rublev, Nadal, Djokovic, obviously. Berrettini team. Like, I I think that's your eight right now. And Federer, when he's healthy, sure, belongs on the outskirts of that discussion. And guys like Sinner are around that group as well. Shapovalov, when they play their best, certainly the Schwartzmans of the world and, you know, the Crano Boostas of the world, the Bautista Zagutz of the world, they'll hang around that group, but that top eight feels pretty solidified, those top five, Djokovic and Almedvedev, Zverev, Rublev, certainly, and then with Tsitsipas, Berrettini, both top five servers on tour and, you know, their returning numbers to continuing to improve, and then Dominic Team in the top 20, I think those are your top eight, that's the group right now that we're looking at, the numbers say it, I think we all would agree the recent results, the eye test says it as well, that's where things stand in terms of the clubs, in terms of the ELO movers, and I'll keep this on the briefer side, Matteo Berrettini up to number three in 2021 ELO. His 32 wins, as I mentioned, fifth overall on the season. He's won titles on clay courts, on grass courts. He's made now a slam final. He's made three fourth rounds. Again, if you're wondering, is he an elite player or is he just very good? I think this number, his results suggest he's borderline elite, folks. I I really do think he belongs in that elite category in the tier now with Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev. Whether Rublev belongs in that tier or not, I suppose, is up to you. I probably lean towards including him. If you do not, I'll listen to your case. But, you know, he's a big mover. Cam Norrie. 
34 and 14 on the season. That's third in wins here in 2021. He's up to number seven. I don't think he's the seventh best player in the world. I do think he's been a top 20 player in the world. And you look for Nori right now, he's number 12 in overall ELO. He actually is at a career high in the ATP rankings. Cam Nori currently sitting at number 32. Considering he's still 25 years old, way to wrap the 1995s, my man. Way to wrap college tennis as well. Former number one player in the country. I mean, he's a top 40 guy. Like, he should be seated at the slams. His consistency, hard courts, grass courts, clay. He has been one of the breakout players, perhaps. He and Hubie Hercots right now, they're my number one and two in terms of the most improved player in this 2021 season. But, you know, again... He's been in ELO rating superstar. Certainly, you look at some of the other names that jump out. I mean, Shapovalov up to number 15 makes sense. Davidovich Fokina at 17. That feels a tad high. I love this trio. FAA 19, Hercots 20, Korda 21. I have no argument with the order there. I have no argument with any of that. I think Fucevic is closer to his number 23 overall ELO rating than he is to his number 37 ATP ranking. I think he's a guy who should be seeded at the slams because if he's not, he's going to go ahead and upset the seeds. You look for the Americans right now. It's rough. Opelka, 33 in the rankings. Fritz, 39. Isner, 40. It's not much better in terms of the ELO. You look right now, uh, I believe, the highest-ranked American by ELO rating. Let's see. Taylor Fritz is 47. Riley Opelka, currently number 58. John Isner, currently number 31. So Isner currently in the lead. Tiafo number 48. Yeah, I think it's going to be Isner right now, number 31, highest by ELO. <laughs> Jensen Brooksby, 39. That's pretty funny. Uh, but again, I think that's a takeaway from the grass courts. We need to see some big American pushes here in the summer hard courts in North America if we want to see an American end the year inside the top 30. Corda number 46 in the ATP rankings. I mentioned it. He's number 21 in overall ELO, number 14 in 2021 ELO. What's closer? Is he number, do you think he's closer to that number 21 ranking via ELO or number 47 via the ATP ranking? I think he's closer to a top 25 guy than he is a top 50 guy. But again, it's a categorization to each his own. Worth noting, again, borderline top 30 club member. So the analytics suggest it and the eye test suggested his size, his success on each of the surfaces. He's got an ATP Tour title under his belt. Anyways, those were the big, I suppose, ELO takeaways on the men's side. You want to flip gears and talk. Oh, and by the way, Christian Garin with his fourth round appearance at Wimbledon, number 15 right now in 2021. ELO Garin has solidified himself number 24 in overall ELO. That's just interesting to me. But nevertheless, you look at right now in terms of on uh, the women's side, Ashley Barty, your number one overall ELO. She's trailed by Osaka, then Simona Halep, who's been out with injuries, but she was the best player in the world before the pandemic hit in 2020. Certainly, I thought it was her, Barty, Osaka, all in that count. Well, I suppose Osaka came out a different player after the pandemic, but, you know, she was always going to be in that conversation. We've seen that peak before, but it makes sense that that's your top three. And then you've got a bunch of people chasing, right? Sabalenka, Sviantek, Muguruza. I still think Kvitova's peak is as high as those players. So to see her at number seven, I agree with that. And then you get that new wave. Krejcikova, Jabour, Goff round out your top 10. Then you get into the Pliskova, Sakari, Mertens, Vika, Svitolina tier from 11 through 15. You hit Brady, Serena, Kanteve, Mukova, Rabakina. 
that's a top 20 that makes a lot of sense to me. And of course, you look at the depth that Sonia Kennan is number 31 right now. If I told you, you know, she's ranked number four overall, what's she playing more like right now? The number four overall player, the number 31 overall player in the world? I think we would all agree. It's number 31. Ditto for someone like Jess Pegula, who's number 23 right now in ELO. I think that makes sense. Ostapenko, 22 right now in ELO. I think that makes sense. Again, Own Jabour has been far closer to the top or number nine spot here in 2021 that she is in ELO than the 23 spot, which is a new career high, but that she's at at the WTA rankings. So again, all of those players who had success during this natural surface portion of the season, you see that success reflected in their updated ELO rankings. It's It's a really, really fun time right now to be a fan of both tours on the women's side in particular. I've mentioned this fact repeatedly, but there are like 30 top 20 women. I mean, you look at the WTA rankings right now and just how stacked they are. You know, Kerber's 22, Jabour 23, Mukova, who along with Barty are only two players to make multiple quarterfinals at the Slam. She's 24. Goff is 25. Pagula, 27. Conteve, 28. Bedosa, 29. Ostapenko, 30. You've got someone as talented as former Grand Slam uh, finalist Marketa Von Druthova at number 39. Yulia Putin-Seva, number 42. Sarah Saribas Tormo, such a tough out. She's number 46. And then, of course, you've got all the youngsters coming up, right? Samsonova, 54. Kostyuk, 64. And Anne Lee, number 70 right now. Leila Fernandez, number 71. Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, number 80. Anissa Mova, down to number 83 right now. Clara Tossin, number 96. And, you know, Kaya Yuvan, 106. Claire Liu, 107. The talent is incredible. And I think the rankings are finally starting to reflect that changing of the guard that we see week in, week out. So many of these young players establishing themselves, establishing their pedigree on the WTA Tour. Uh, It's a fascinating time to be a tennis fan. These next few years, I think, are going to continue to produce surprising results outside of perhaps the least surprising fact of all that Novak Djokovic ends up as your 2021 uh, Grand Slam champion, but again, uh, or as your 2021 Wimbledon champion. But again, those are the big takeaways uh, post-Wimbledon from the advanced metrics, from ELO, from uh, the stats leaderboard. Shout out, as always, to our friend Jeff Sackman and our friends at Tennis Abstract. You can go support their work, tennisabstract.com. Most importantly, be on the lookout for Jeff to join the podcast later on this week, the Great Shot Podcast, excuse me, where we're going to talk about all of these things in depth. So again, be on the lookout for that later on. But with all of that said, let's talk about the other results we saw last week. And again, I'm not going to go too deep into them, nor am I going to too deeply break down the action we have on our hands this week. We've got four more days of mini breaks, perhaps even six more days if the action gets too exciting. We've got six ATP and WTA events this week. So I imagine we will have weekend mini breaks in front of us. But You look at the action we saw last week. Two first-time WTA champions emerging in the two WTA Tour events. We'll start with the action in Bastad. It was the talented young Romanian Elena Gabriela Rusa earning the first WTA title of her career. She knocks off Jill Teichman. She knocks off Danielle Collins. She knocks off Diana Yastremska. And then in the final, knocks off Andrea Petkovic. Also knocked off Anna Zaya as well. 
To earn her first career title, you look for uh, Elena Gabriela Russa. She was number seven junior in the world. She made a semifinals of Junior Wimbledon back in 2014. She also made round of 16 Junior French Open that season. You look at the success she's had over the past few seasons. She has been pretty darn good at the ITF level was 35 and 14 in 2016, 31 and 15 in 2017, started to try and dabble in some higher level events in 2018, 2019, suffered a bunch of qualifying losses, but went back down to the ITF level earlier this season and at the end of last year. She's 36 and 19 since the start of 2020, 18 and 9 here in 2021. You look at the success she was having at the ITF level. She won uh, you know, she made a bunch of semifinals, a bunch of quarterfinals, just again, kept competing. And, you know, she's someone who was dealing with injury uh, for much of her career, but has now come back from that injury. And just, you know, she strikes the ball so well watching her play. And it's funny because she's only like six months younger than her, but I see a lot of Belinda Bencic in Elena Gabriela Russa's game. Big backswing on the forehand, big loop on the backhand as well, and yet on these clay courts in particular, and she's a perhaps even slightly more dynamic, maybe not quite that sort of Benchich firepower, but when she can strike the ball cleanly, she's going to get that ball by you. And again, it's dangerous down-the-line power. She can hit through you cross-court as well, put heavy topspin on that forehand. I love the way her backhand knifes through the clay courts as well. And she just did so good of maintaining the pace of not allowing, you know, Diana Yastrzemska, particularly in that semifinal, was the match I watched most closely, of not letting Yastrzemska's pace overwhelm her, of allowing Yastrzemska to make those errors to, you know, again, withstand that first strike, just keep the ball deep in and in the center. Don't give Yastrzemska obvious space, obvious plays, because when you give her obvious time, she's going to show off her ridiculous plus power. But, you know, again, for Rusa, she did the same thing against Danielle Collins, and she's got the sort of firepower to make those players uncomfortable, where if they float a ball, she's going to have them on their back foot. And then, you know, again, the way she absorbed, redirected the pace of Teichman, I love the way she handled the lefty forehand with her backhand, her ability to absorb, redirect, and again, go both directions on that wing. I was really, really impressed by the 23-year-old. And again, for some players, it happens really, really early. Case in point, Belinda Bencic. But took a little longer for Elena Gabriela Russa, who wins her first WTA event. What's so interesting for her now, you look in her career for Gabriela Russa, again, WTA level matches she's played. She's A, 6-11 and 11 in her career against the top 100. Three of those wins came against Teichman, Collins, and Yastrzemska this past week in, uh, in excuse me, uh, Hamburg, but you look for her overall in tour level matches, 42-25, and 25, and a lot of those matches, uh, those wins have come in qualifying rounds, but she's been sniffing around the surface of ATP level... Uh, uh, I have ATP level, excuse me, of the WTA level uh, tournaments over these past few seasons. Finally gets the big breakthrough run she needs. Again, really impressive wins over Teichman, Collins, and Yastrzemska. Closes that out well. Just too much firepower for Petkovic to impose her game, to play her early down the line, on the rise sort of game. And so ultimately, it 
is Rusa who's able to capture the title. And now, you know, she's up to number 133 in the rankings. That's a career high for the 23-year-old. It's going to allow her to go, instead of, you know, playing qualities or whatever, she can be comfortable in playing, you know, 60Ks, 100Ks, build her ranking that way. She's just got a little bit more margin for error now. And again, she should get into U.S. Open qualifying for sure with that sort of ranking and the opportunity to play a bunch of high-level ITF events. She was spectacular this weekend, ultimately. Your champion in Hamburg, uh, in Bastad, oh, in Hamburg, excuse me. I think I called it Bastad early on. I meant Hamburg. Excuse me. Now, you look uh, elsewhere in Hamburg. I thought Yastremska was pretty damn good for her first competition since last November. And I know, you know, again, Diana Yastremska has done a lot of different things that are its own podcast, its own tangent for a different time. She's coming off of a doping suspension that I think ultimately was overruled. And whatever that may be, we'll look into that a little bit later, talk about it on a different show. But Firepower is still as evident as ever. If she is locked in, is the ball is landing on the court, she has time to set her feet, swing through the shot. She's got Serena Williams' power, uh, power tennis country club level sorts of power, and we haven't extended an offer to her yet because we're afraid she might break up the chemistry of the country club, and we really like the group we have there right now. But again... We're keeping an eye on her because she's got the. She's certainly got parts of the credentials uh, that you like to see both wings, forehand, backhand. If she gets a clean rip of that ball cross court down the line, it's silly how much power she can put on. And again, for her first competition back, I thought she was pretty impressive in her early tournament victories over Magdalena Frich, over Sarah Irani as well. But you know, just played a really bad second set against Rusa, and then again. Four, five, third set, those are the sort of moments where if you haven't competed in six, seven months on tour, it's going to show. And it did show in that final service game a couple of loose errors give Rusa the victory. Now, Rusa earned it. But again, if you're a Yastrzemska fan uh, or certainly you just want to know how did she look in her return, the answer is good. And she is someone we are going to have to keep an eye on. She will be a relevant part of this next decade of women's tennis. But again, those were your big results. In Hamburg, you look elsewhere, your finalist at the event in Hamburg. Ultimately, uh, it was, I believe, uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, and I don't want to be incorrect, I apologize. In the final, it was ultimately Andrea Petkovic, who, if you look, was able to knock out Putin Savin three sets. She was able to knock out Annalen Friedsam. She knocked out Bonaventure. She knocked off Niemeyer on her way to the final. Three set wins for her over Putin Seva and Niemeyer, respectfully. Niemeyer Meyer and Yastremska, your two semifinalists. You had Zidanzik with a three-set win over Kristina Pliskova. Very fun match before she ultimately got tripped up by Niemeyer. I thought Danielle Collins looked pretty good, honestly, in that match against Rusa, and I already talked about Yastremska. But that was your action over in Hamburg. Again, the 250-level event on clay coming to a close. You look now at event number two in Bastad, another first-time WTA champion emerges, and I believe that is now 13 first-time WTA champions here in this 2021 season. Here, it was ultimately Nuria Parizas Diaz who earns the first WTA title of her career, the soon-to-be 30-year-old, earning the victory in Bastad with wins over uh, Vavara Lepchenko, Madison Inglis, Claire Liu, Michaela Buznarescu, and Olga Govertsova. She dropped only one set in the tournament. That was two English. You look for her throughout the week. She won on average about 72% of her first serve points. Was just 
was everywhere in this match. And you look for her and, you know, the ITF wrote a story about her after she reached the final round of qualifying at Wimbledon. It was five years ago. She was advised by medical professionals to hang up her racket for good after suffering a serious shoulder injury that showed no sign of standing up to the rigors of the professional game. She's now won her first WTA title. And with this victory, she now moves up to number 117 in the live rankings. Again, 29 years old, 117. You're going to have opportunities now to play some higher level events. Certainly you're going to get into whatever 60Ks instead of 25Ks you want to play. And you look for uh, Parisa's Diaz over the last 52 weeks. She's won, I believe, four different 25K events. You look for her overall. She's 43 and 15. She's not going to be able to play Grand Slam qualifying as well as 60Ks, 100Ks, just broaden her horizon. And you look for her all week long, dropped again, only the one set against Inglis. I thought it was a really impressive performance for her, two and four over an informed Claire Lou, who, by the way, another WTA quarterfinal for her under her belt. She continues to inch closer and closer to that top 100 debut, a ceiling I think all of us knew she had uh, as she continued to rise through the junior ranks not that many years ago. Again, she's another one, only 21-22, yet it feels like if you've been a fan of American tennis, she's been a part of our lives for a little bit longer. But you know, Perez Divas was just too good down the home stretch. And these are the sort of stories we love to appreciate here at Crack Rackets. 29 year old veteran deals with injuries, has to adjust her game to adjust for a long term uh, shoulder issue, and able to now reset, recalibrate, reach a career high at number uh, at age 29, win her first uh, grand uh, grand slam. Excuse me, win her first WTA title. And just move things in the right direction. These are the sort of feel-good stories. Again, 5-0 and now in finals here on the season. Yes, four of them were at the 25K level. I don't care what a feel-good story for Nuria Perizas Diaz. She earns the title in Bastad. And again, your other winners of that event. Certainly, it was a funky one. Not the highest quality by ranking 250 draw. But, you know, Rebecca Patterson, semifinalist, was the number one seed. She was knocked out. By Govertsova, whose only set loss prior to the final was in her first round against former Ohio State standout Francesca DiLorenzo. Speaking of college tennis, Meyer Sharif into another WTA quarterfinal for her uh, as she knocked off both Francesca Jones and Katharina Kozlova before getting knocked out by Govertsova. I also thought a good performance for Boos Narescu to make the semifinals of this event. But again, overall, it was fun tennis uh, over in Bastada. I'd be lying if I said I caught all of the action. I was able to go watch a replay of the final, though. And again, what a fantastic performance. Feel-good story in the end for unseeded uh, Nuria Parizas Diaz. But... Again, those are uh, that is your recap of all of last week's action. A fantastic week ahead of us as, again, there's no rest for the weary. These tours are not going to be sleeping anytime soon, of course, before we talk about all of the action in the week ahead. You want to talk about something that will keep me awake, something that will cause me not to sleep moving forward. It's if I feel uncomfortable about my grooming habits of late, whether it's brushing my teeth before I go to bed, whether it's making sure I shower every day, 
day, all these different things. I just – little ticks. I got to do them. And something else I got to do is make sure I am groomed well. From face down to toe, I want to make sure I have all the best equipment to ensure that I can look my best whenever I have to go out in public, feel confident about myself so I can be that boisterous Alex Gruskin that I believe some of you Cracked Rackets fans have come to know and love. And you know what helps me sleep at night? Knowing that I've got my friends at Manscaped having my back with all of my men, uh, men's below-the-waist grooming needs. Of course, you guys already know they're champions in below-the-waist grooming, and they offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped, in fact, just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. You heard me correctly. Not the 1.0, not the 2.0. The 3.0 was excellent, but they were like, we can make it even better, so they launched the Lawn Mower 4.0. It's kind of like the Djokovic 4.0 we have now out on court. Is he the physical specimen he was in 2011? Is he just the relentless, on-top-of-the-world competitor he was in 2015? No, he's the best of both worlds now here in 2021. That's the Lawn Mower 4.0. You can join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their below-the-waist grooming needs. And you can use our exclusive offer to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping on your order as well. If you use our promo code NEWBALLS, please, at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLS, please, at manscaped.com. Make grooming time your favorite time in the bathroom. Manscaped.com, 20% and free worldwide shipping with the promo code NEWBALLS, please. With that in mind, let's look at the week ahead here on the ATP and WTA uh, tours. We'll start on the WTA side. Three different events going on this week. The action continues on the clay courts. In a couple of them, you look at the action we've got going on in both, I believe, Lausanne, Switzerland, and over in Budapest, Hungary. Both of those action, uh, both of those events happening over on clay. We'll start with the action in Switzerland. Tomorrow's a Danzig. She makes the semifinals of the French Open. Now that ranking is going to allow her to get into all of these WTA tour-level events. She's taking advantage of that fact, choosing to be the number one seed this week in Switzerland, playing on the clay, the surface she knows best. She is going to be the favorite to advance out of her section of the draw. You look, her number eight seed is Anna Blinkova. Of course, Olga Govertsova, I suppose, coming off of a final from last week. So that's an interesting section. You move below that. Jasmine Paulini, who quietly, won a clay court event in the lead up to Wimbledon. She's the number seven seed. She's got the always dangerous number three seed, Jill Teichman, looming at the top of that section. Very fun first round match between uh, Francesca DiLorenzo and uh, Stephanie Vogel as well in round number one there. You look at the bottom half of the draw, your four and five seeds, Camilla Giorgi, Caroline Garcia. Fun matchup between Astra Sharma, who qualified, and Christina Pliskova in round number one. And then Fiona Farrow, your number two seed. She's paired with Aranxa Roos. You've also got talented young Frenchwoman Clara Burrell in that section. Alicia Parks on a free thumb. Should be a really, really fun event over in Switzerland. And then again, the other clay court event happening in Budapest, Hungary. Number one seed, Yulia Putin-Seva. A winner in her first round match, 6-2-6-4 over Gargadze. Your other winners on the day, you had three seeds knocked off. Number four seed, Arena Begu knocked off by Shnadova. You had Bara knocking off Irani in three sets. Ormachea knocking off Tomova in straights. You also had a win from Kozlova over Haas. And then Anna Konya, 
who according to Tennis Abstract's forecast for Budapest, is actually the favorite to win this event. She was a first-round winner as well. Three sets in her match. Does Konya ultimately advance uh, to uh, over Merdeza? Now she's got a matchup, by the way, with Yulia Putin. Save you. If you like the winner of that one, again, your favorite to take home the title. Your other seeds in action here. Anna Bogdan, Alexandra Sasinovich, Bernardo Pera, Danielle Collins yet to begin their tournament, so be on the lookout for them to play tomorrow, but that's your clay court action happening on the WTA Tour. And then, of course, we've got a hard court event happening as well over in Prague. Petra Kvitova, your number one seed, already knocked out of the event in three sets over Rebecca Sremikova. She served for that first set multiple times, had, I believe, three set points as well in a 7-6-3-6-6-4 loss. But you look elsewhere in the draw, Barbara Krejcikova, those, I believe, are your only two top 20 players in action this week. Kvitova and Krejcikova, they're both here in the Czech Republic, their home country. Obviously, you look elsewhere in the draw, number three seed, Marketa Vandrusova, number four seed, Marie Buzkova, five seed. Katarina uh, Sinyakova, your six seed, Stuwe C. Seven seed, Nina Stanjanovic. Eight seed, Theresa Martinsova. You look at some of the other dangerous youngsters in the draw, young Chinese woman, Shinyu Wang, who I'm telling you, if you have not seen her, Go watch her play. I I really am a fan of her game. And just overall, across the board, this should be a really, really good event. So that is your action happening this week on the WTA side. And, of course, we will break all of it down day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast. And I mentioned it at the top, but you look this week on the WTA Tour. It's Kvitova, Krejcikova. Those are your only top 30 players in action. You look at the top 50 players to add to that list. It's Putin Seva, Zidanzik, and Daniel Collins. The rest of these players taking a well-deserved week off after what has been a grueling stretch of tennis over in Europe. You look on the men's side this week, I believe. Overall, we have one, two, three, four, five top 30 players in action. You look in Hamburg. It's an ATP 500 event happening on clay this late in the season. And given he's had two weeks off between his first round loss to Stefano, uh, to Francis Tiafo, and now perhaps it is no surprise to learn that Stefano Tsitsipas took a wild card and a number one seed in Hamburg. He's got the winner of Martyrer and Kofer in his first round match. That promises actually to be a tester. You look at the number two seed in this event, Pablo Carreno Busta. He'll face the winner of the Spaniards to Berner and Lopez. You look at the number three seed in this event here this week, Nicolas Basilishvili. Very fun matchup for him. And challenger superstar Sebastian Baez, who earns his first ATP level victory one and two over Quarantine Mute. You look at the four seed here. Again, it's Albert Ramos Vinoles. Five seed in the event is ultimately, I believe, the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic. Your six seed in the event, Philip Kranovic. Seven seed, Jan. Leonard Struve, eight seed Benoit Pair advances in after a Ricardus Brink is forced to withdraw from the first set, but you look elsewhere in the draw, a bunch of players in action here, some dangerous ones as well. Juan Pablo Rios, another challenger superstar. Uh, you mentioned uh, Luca Pui here in the draw, Alex Mulcan here in the draw, last week's challenger winner Daniel Altmaier here in the draw. 
Tiago Sabath Vild advances in three sets over Nikola Kuhn. He's likely got the he's got the winner of Struff and Laszlo Jure in the second round. All those matches promise to be fun. So again, yes, it's not the most loaded of the ATP 500 draws, but certainly uh, going to be an interesting one. And to see Steve, Pass elect to play another event uh, on the clay courts, it speaks to again his willingness to just his desire to be on court, be competing. That's how he gets better. So fascinating to see will be an interesting tournament to monitor. Of course, that is your 500-level event. You've got the 250, our last grass court event of the season on the men's side, happening in Newport. You've got Sasha Bublik, your number one seed there, Sam Query, your number two seed, your three seed, Yoshihito Nishioka, four seed, Vashik Pospisil, five seed, Sandgren, six seed, Steve Johnson, upset by a guy who probably should be the two seed in this tournament behind Sasha Bublik in Dennis Kudla, a 7-6-3-6-6-4 victory. He's now got Jensen Brooksby. That's a rematch of the Orlando Challenger final, I believe. That was a match Brooksby won. I believe these two played in Orlando. If they didn't, certainly uh, this is a matchup I think we all can be looking forward to because these are two guys who have had a ton of success on the Challenger level, two guys who are uh, two of the better players, let's be honest here, in American men's tennis right now. So I think that one promises to be very, very fun now. Again, that's your sixth seed, your seven seed Jordan Thompson advances after he gets a retirement victory over Steve and then Kevin Anderson seven five six three over Ilya Marchenko he is your number eight seed you look at the other dangerous players in the draw guys we're familiar with here at Crack Rackets couple of college guys UNC's Braden Schnur U of M's go blue Jason Jung you've got wildcard Alex uh, uh, you've got wildcard Jack Sock taking on grass court challenger champion Alex Bolt you've got that's a really fun matchup you've got elsewhere in the draw Mitchell Kruger, Max Cressy, uh, all guys we've discussed or had on the show here. Uh, so again, promises to be a fun week in Newport and our friends over at Tennis One, the official app of the action in Newport. So be sure to check out all of that action there. I believe my friend Andy Katz working for them this week. So you can listen to his coverage of tennis over on the app. And then of course, our final event of the week at the ATP 250 level, the action in Bastad on the men's side this week. Really fun top two seeds, Casper Ruud, Christian Guerin. Feel like those two are almost inextricably linked to that Houston final they played. I want to say that was 2018, 2019, but two guys who have so much success whenever it's a clay court event. Two guys who want to be defined by more than their clay court success, but you can understand uh, why they feel the need to get back out on the surface and you know, again, those are two guys who can win any clay court tournament they face for Rude. He's potentially got Holger Rune round one, the former world junior number one, a wild card in this event. That would be a fascinating round of 16 match. Elias Emer going to take on the winner of Laxanen and Musetti. <laughs> Excuse me, Musetti, your number 60. I apologize for that hiccup. Sometimes I wonder, should we cut them out? But Westhoff would just be like, nah, just leave it in. So that's what happens when you talk for an hour consecutively. Nevertheless, again, uh, Fabio Fognini, uh, your number three seed in this event, your number four seed, John Millman, your five seed already knocked out, Richard Gasquet, by Marco Cecinato, who you could argue should probably have been the five seed in this event, the six seed, I already mentioned, Musetti, seven seed, Yuri Vesely, eight seed, Emil Roussevori. You have Yannick Hanifman, really fun first round win over Diego Montiero. He'll be the favorite in his matchup against number seven seed, Yuri Vesely, if 
Fessley can get by Caruso, but you've also got always dangerous Pedro Martinez Portero, Francisco Serendolo qualifies for this event, former Texas A&M All-American Arthur Rinderneck qualifies for this event, Rusevori taking on Mikhail Emer, by the way, first round, that's a really, really fun matchup, so across the board, fun stuff on the ATP Tour, and then again, if you want to hear more about the action happening at the Challenger level, go check out Damian and Jakob's Great Shot podcast episode on Monday, but We've got four challengers this week. You've got the action in Lassie, uh, in Lassie, excuse me, Romania. You've got Nur Sultan. You've got Todi, Italy. And then you've got the action happening in Amersfoort, Netherlands. So, you know, couple, I think three clay court challengers, one on the hard courts. Everyone's in action this week except for the top 20 players. But just, beside, just because it's not the top 20 doesn't mean, again, that we're not going to be treated to fantastic tennis. That's a theme we always hit on here at Cracked Rackets. We look forward to doing so again this week. But another reminder, I know I mentioned it at the top. Tons of fun content for all of you listeners planned this week. We've got David Kane coming on. We've got Jeff Sackman coming on. We've got all of our fun usual guests, and we're going to get the cracked interviews rocking and rolling every day here on this mini break podcast, every day on the Great Shout podcast, writing on our website, crackedrackets.com. We want to keep you listeners, oh, I should say videos, on our YouTube channel as well. We want to keep you listeners up to date on everything that's happening in the tennis world. So, of course, again, be on the lookout for all of that content on our website, crackedrackets.com if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max leader and daniel westa for the of an editing job they do day in day out a shout out as well to our friends at uh tennis point remember go to tennis point.com uh, tennis dash point.com excuse me symbol not the spelling and use our promo code cr15 to get 15 percent off your order go to manscape.com use that promo code new balls please to get 20 percent off your order plus free shipping but with that in mind for our wonderful super producers fligner and westoff our friends over at tennis point and manscaped and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.